بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين ما بعد So in the continuation of our series on the hikam the next wisdom that he mentions is number 60 on page 213. This one sounds a bit complicated. It's actually a very simple idea, and a very helpful and very beneficial idea, inshallah, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can enable it for us. He says, Ibn Ata'illah Iskandari rahimahullah says, were it, were it not for the seeds of ambitious desire, the branches of disgrace would not be lofty. Were it not for the seeds of ambitious desire, the branches of disgrace would not be lofty. Is connecting disgrace and ambitious desire, covetousness, greed for things together. So he's saying that the more there is greed, the more possibility there is for disgrace. And he mentions it as though the seeds are what you plant. Generally, it's seeds that you plant and that is what develops into a tree and into the branches. So the seeds are the seeds of ambitious desire. Desire for other than Allah. Obviously, you have to have a desire for Allah, otherwise how you're going to get to Allah, paradise, the happiness and satisfaction of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is saying that when you plant the desire for anything but that, anything for the world, then you're sure to then grow from there a tree and then the branches of disgrace. The branches of disgrace would not be lofty, he says. So this is a really interesting idea. And as I said, to make sure that we clarify, you need desire in this world. Allah has given us desire. It's a human faculty to want something, which is what drives us. It's what gives us the ambition. The, it's what essentially... If, if a person didn't have any desire at all, they would just sit back and do nothing. So desire is a good thing. So this is obviously speaking about a specific kind of desire which is detrimental. So just uh, for those who understand Arabic, it says, مَا بَسَقَتْ أَغْصَانُ ذُلِّنْ أَغْصَان, plural of ghusan, which basically means branches. Dhul means uh, disgrace. And basakat busuk means to become lofty, to grow tall, to be high. So the branches of disgrace would never be high. Illa ala bidri tamin. Bidr means like a seed, and tama means the desire. And in this case, it means desire for that which is not appropriate for us to have desire in. So now let's see what this is saying. See, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, wa nakhla basiqatillah. So the same word is used, basiqat. But anyway, to move on. This is essentially saying that you need to cut away all of your hope for what other people possess. Whatever humans possess, you should cut away your hope that you will get it from them. You can have a hope that it comes from Allah, but you cannot have a hope that you will get it from them, even though we see that we actually do get things from people. 
on a day-to-day -day basis, humans assist one another. That's actually a characteristic of the human being, that we work together, unlike some animals. Some animals, they work together, other animals do it alone. But humans have to work together, because we can't, each one of us cannot produce everything that each one of us needs. So then, this seems unrealistic. You know, for some people they may say, well, this seems unrealistic if you're explaining that to be cutting away of having any kind of desire from another human being. So that's the idea. That to have your heart connected to this idea that you will get it from someone else, meaning from another human being, and then for your heart to then not think about Allah, but then just to be focused on this other person, on, on whoever it is besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is where you're going to end up possibly, possibly with disgrace. Uh, Abul Abbas al-Mursi, he says, Wallahi ma illa fi I've never seen respect and honor except by turning away from having any kind of anticipation from human beings. But rather keep, rather keep the focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so why is having this ambitious greed from others, why is that going to be our disgrace? Why is, it dis why is disgrace based on that? Well, the reason is that the person who has this kind of desire from other human beings, they've abandoned the mighty one and they've become associated with a servant who is lowly. So what do you expect when you've abandoned the main source or the, the source? The person has also abandoned his noble Lord, his benevolent and generous Lord, and he's put all of his attention to a needy servant. So then he will become needy in the same way. He's abandoned putting all of his anticipation and all of his hope in the one who is rich, enriched, independent from everybody else. And along with that, he's generous and benevolent. And he's decided to put it down, his anticipation, with some lowly, miserable individual in the sight of Allah or as compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas... You have to remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always going to be providing a human being, providing his servants according to the, how much they think of him. The great, greater bandwidth and Wi-Fi bandwidth you open up with Allah, that's how much more he will provide you. It's up to us to open up the next band up. It's up to us to open up the next package up. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has got enough as much as you want. Also, another thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made us his servants, his slaves, needy of him, independent from everybody else. Humans are generally created, generally created free of everyone else, as free, in, free people. So now this person has chosen by putting all of his anticipation in someone else to become a servant of another servant, of a creation of Allah. And a servant to his own desires and his own pleasures. Why? How does that make sense? Well, logically speaking, whenever you begin to love something, whenever you become obsessed 
and you begin to love something, you're going to have the full desire to attain it. Whenever you do that, you become its servant because in order to get it, there's going to be hoops you have to jump. There's going to be compromises you may have to make. There's going to be limitations you're going to have to put to yourself. Because when you want to get something, you have to abide by the rules to get it. And whenever you give up something and you're like, forget that. When you give up any hope in something, you've become free of it. That thing cannot control you anymore. We get so many cases like this where there's a wife in a miserable marriage. Generally, it's going to be the wife in the miserable marriage in this particular scenarios where the husband is very abusive. But blackmails, taunts, torments and threatens with divorce, separation and she feels she's helpless, she can't go anywhere, they've got children for the sake of the children but misery for 10 years, 20 years, health is becoming ill and so on. And sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes it's with a, with a partner in a business. Sometimes it's somebody else. Could be with anybody. When they leave that abusive relationship, when, they, when they, they know there's harm coming from there, but they still think there's some benefit coming from there, that's why they hang on. It's the only reason they hang on. I asked these people, I said, why are you still here? Why are you still doing this? You're being beaten, for example. You're being uh, abused in this way. You are, you are being told to run the expenses of the house. No wife should have to do that. You've got grounds for divorce in Islam from a fake perspective. You hate him. You've been sleeping separately in another room for five years, seven years. We've dealt with two cases recently like that. Why do you stay together? In a loveless marriage. That's not Islam. So as you say, because they think there's something they can still get from there. And the day that they give up, the day that they release themselves, they become free. As long as they put their reliance in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But they've become free from this individual. Or from this source of benefit that they feel they're getting. That's why, وَمَا أَيِسْتَ مِنْ شَيْءٍ وَرَفَعْتَ هِمَّتَهُ عَنْهِ إِلَّا كُنْتَ حُرًّا مِّنْهُ Whenever you abandon your hopes in something that you're going to get something that you're dependent on that thing and you remove all of your anticipation from that thing then you become free of that thing hopefully you don't jump from one pot into another pot you have to go to Allah that is why the poet says abatil matami'u an tuhashimani inni limi'waliha saffan saldu al-abdu hurrum ma'asa tama'an he says that all of these desires and all of this obsession, etc., that's failed to make me one of its followers, one of its slaves. I stay very strong in front of it. I put my defenses up. I never become slave to any of my desires. And then he says, a human being, a servant of Allah, is only going to be free as long as they disobey these ambitious desires. A free person, as soon as they start to obey their desires, will become a slave. And it's a simple fact that he's saying. That's why in the Tanweer it says, وَكُنْ أَيُّهَا الْعَبْدُ إِبْرَاهِيمِيًا O servants of Allah, you should become Ibrahimi. Like our Prophet Ibrahim as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran. 
your father Ibrahim said, La uhibbul afilin. When he was having that whole experience to gain gnosis about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he finally said, I do not like those that set, that those that disappear. When he saw the moon disappear, the stars disappear. La uhibbul afilin. And we have to remember that everybody but Allah is going to disappear. It is in his nature to disappear. We all know that when we buy something, it's going to last for a certain amount. That's why we ask for guarantees to hope we can keep it in good use until that time. Now, we're told to follow Millata Abikum Ibrahim. As Allah says in Surah Al Hajj, Millata Abikum Ibrahim, the way, the path, the deen, the, re- the religion of your forefather Ibrahim, his way, the fitrah, which is the nature. So that's why it becomes wajib, necessary on believers that they must follow the, the way of Ibrahim salam. That's where we get our guidance from. And part of the guidance, part of the religion or the, the way Ibrahim salam got his success and made his way is by removing any, any ambition to creation. So for example, the day, you know the story, the day that he was thrown using a huge catapult into this raging fire. Jibreel alayhisalam, now he, th- this has to be understood in slow motion. He's being thrown for a big distance because the fire was so big they said they couldn't get close. So then they came up with this idea that they should build a catapult. So now he's on the catapult and he's being thrown in there. And in that instance, right, Jibreel alayhisalam comes to him and he says to him, Alaka haja, any need, any need. He sees, he's obviously seeing Ibrahim, that's why he's come to his, uh, to his assistance, any need. And this is Ibrahim Alisam going into the fire. It says, Ibrahim Alisam calmly says, Amma ilayka fala. Amma ilayka fala wa amma ilallahi fabala. To you, no. But to Allah, of course. So then he says, Jibreel Alisam then said, Okay, fine. Why don't you ask him then? Go and ask him. Jibreel Alisam wants to save him. So then Ibrahim salam says, now imagine this is talking to a prophet, a, a, a prophet of a high caliber, of high ambition, ulul azmi min rusul high resolution, speaking to the archangel. The angel is saying, okay, make dua to Allah, fas'al, implore him. Hasbi min su'ali, ilmuhu bihali. His knowledge of my state is sufficient for me that I don't need to ask him anything. There's no need to, I need to ask him. He knows anyway. He has knowledge of exactly what's going on. Second, millisecond, in fact, pre-knowledge. So if he wants to say me, it's up to him. Essentially, this is full submission. He's done his part. Besides that, he knows Allah, whatever he wants will happen to him. This isn't to say that you don't defend yourself if you're going to be thrown into the fire. But here he's already being thrown. He's already on his way. What else is he going to do? The only one that can help him is Allah. But he knows Allah knows anyway. So he says, okay, we'll leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is, I mean, don't, I mean, I don't want anybody to imagine from this, this is something that we cannot do. Or that he was doing something that, you know, we cannot do. No, we can do this as well. Again, it's, it, it's very clear that once you're in the air about to go there, what else are you going to do? The only thing you can do is, Allah, you can just put your reliance on it. There's nothing else you can do. But then we would have asked Allah. He says, I'll leave it to Allah. How Ibrahim basically takes away all of his 
pleading to anyone else. In fact, forget pleading, but his anticipation in anyone. In fact, even with Allah, his connection with Allah is such that, look, he knows he loves me. I'm his servant. It's up to him. So he's not even asking Allah, even that's a means. And that's not to say we don't ask Allah. We can ask Allah. The Prophet ﷺ has mentioned so many times. Allah has mentioned in the Quran, whoever doesn't ask Allah. This, so he did not ask Jibreel. He did not ask any help from Jibreel ﷺ. And neither did he even decide, neither did he even try to make a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he done something else. He done something higher than asking him. See, because there's the sabr, al-bala, and then asking Allah to remove the test you're in. But then the highest status, status is Rada bil qada, which is satisfaction with your degree, so you don't even ask Allah. One of our mashaykh that I can relate back to, like on probably the fifth one up of our line, uh, Haji Imdadullah, fifth or sixth one up, Haji Imdadullah, once he became sick, he became ill with some illness. And he decided, he says, Allah knows my state. I can ask him for shifa because part of asking Allah shifa, you can ask Allah for shifa. He says, I can ask him for shifa, but he knows. So let me just leave it to him. I leave it to whenever he wants. Now, if we're suffering from somewhere, some, something, we're like, get rid of it, please. Oh Allah, it's a good thing to get rid of it. But then there's a higher level. And again, remember, this higher level is as Fudayl ibn Iyad, etc. It's not easy for everyone. So he said, I'll leave it to Allah. Now, of course, when you leave it to Allah, Allah sees that your reliance on Him is even higher. That, oh, He's put all of His reliance on me, then Allah is going to give the best possible outcome. And you see that same story in Ayyub salam. He just leaves it to Allah. Allah gives him then so much better than everything that he had lost in terms of his sickness, illness, being deserted by uh, everybody, and so on and so forth. Now this sounds complicated, but slowly, slowly, we have to change our heart. Again, this does not mean that you don't ask somebody for help. Hey brother, you know, I've got a flat tire, can you help me? But in the heart, it must be that only Allah is going to help me. Meaning only Allah is going to facilitate this in some way. Only Allah will facilitate this in some way. Doesn't mean that you just sit there and think, you can if you want to, if you've got that much tawakkul. But there's nothing wrong with asking people, but in your heart, you know, it's only Allah. I'm going to ask this person, inshallah, he'll help. It's up to Allah if he helps. So he did not ask Jibreel anything. He did not try to ask Allah anything. But he actually saw the true one, who is Allah, the only true one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala closer than Jibreel, closer than even his asking. Imagine that connection with Allah. May Allah grant us that kind of connection. Ibrahim is not the most superior prophet after Muhammad sallallahu except for good reason. Among the hierarchy of prophets, the highest prophet is the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The one after him is Ibrahim alaihi even though he is the grandparent of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's why Allah subhanahu wa taala kept him safe from Namrud and all of his other people, all of those others that tried to uh, intend evil with him. And Allah subhanahu wa taala gave him huge rewards: children at an older age. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa taala gives him the construction of the Baytullah. The whole Hajj event has continued since his time. Makkah has actually become inhabited and become a city from his time through his, through his descendants. Subhanallah, every prophet that came after him is pretty much from his descendants. 
You don't hear about any prophet after him that were not from his descendants. All the Bani Israel, right? They're all from his descendants. Then Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the final prophet is from descendants. All the major books are from prophets of his descendants. I mean, subhanallah, I mean, you have to be of somewhere. If we can even put an ounce of a small amount of Ibrahim alayhi tawakkul and reliance and cutting away from everyone else. I mean, you can tell by his whole journey that he just became aloof from everyone else. His, but it had to be from practice. He, he, he dealt with the idols. He looked for gnosis through the stars and, and eventually that way. So you have to make an effort from it. It's not going to come just like that. Part of uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam's uh, methodology, part of his way, his milla, is to essentially treat as an enemy anything that's going to take you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Treat that as an enemy, so shun it. And when you have an enemy, you have to plan against it. You have to take precautions. You have to have strategy. You can't just stay heedless because enemies are those who are out to get you. So he considers all those that take you away from Allah as enemies who are there to get you. So you have to take precautions. So then Ibrahim Alaihissalam, this is what he says. In Surah Al-Shu'ara, Allah says, فَإِنَّهُ uh, uh, Ibrahim Alaihissalam, uh, quoting Ibrahim Alaihissalam, Ibrahim Alaihissalam says, فَإِنَّهُمْ عَدُوٌّ لِي إِلَّا رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ They are all my enemies because they're all there to take me away from Allah, to pretend that they are the God. Pretend that they can sustain me, that they can give me something, that I can put my hope in them. They are all my enemies except the true Lord of the worlds. And uses the word Rabbul Alameen, the one who definitely takes whatever he's, they are in charge of, they take them slowly, slowly in every stage, giving them what they want. That's what you call Rabb and the true Lord. The Lord is in nourishes you, who sustains you at every moment. So if you want to be truly enriched by Allah, then the only way you can do that is to just cut away all of your hopes, abandon all of your hopes from anybody else. You can still ask them, you can still talk to them, assist one another and have that but your understanding is that eventually it's all going to come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Shaykh Abul Hassan Shadidi says ayistu min naf ayistu min naf'i nafsi li nafsi ayistu min naf'i nafsi li nafsi fakayfa la ayasu min naf'i ghayri laha only a true lover of Allah, truly person whose experiences can, can say this. He says, I've given up hope of my own self benefiting myself. I know that I fail so many times in my own self benefiting my own self. I want something, but I can't help it. So if I've given up hope in my own self benefiting my own self, this really hits it home. So how can I not give up hope in somebody else benefiting me? I am most beloved to myself. I love my own self more than anyone else. Generally, that's human beings. But I cannot benefit myself the way I want to benefit myself. How can I expect that to, for any other human being to benefit me in the same way? Then he says, I have great hope. I've hoped from Allah, in Allah, for other people. My, you know, when people ask you for dua and so on, you make dua for them from Allah. So if I have put my hope in Allah for other people, then how can I not put my hope in Allah for myself? This is a true knower of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who can say this. 
This essentially is, you can say, the, uh, the, they, they use a word which they don't use too much, but this you can say is like the miracle cure, the miracle strategy, the miracle solution for everything. They, they would call it kimia in those days, which basically means alchemy, turning dust into gold. So that was a symbolic idea that, you know, the most effective thing to get to your objective. So he's saying that essentially this is, he, he, had, he had the, this alchemy for him to be able to say this. Uh, anybody who has this, eventually afterwards, then he will eventually gain such a richness and such wealth that after that there's going to be no need. You're never going to feel needy because you always feel that Allah is going to give you whatever you need. You're always going to have honor and there's going to be never any disgrace in that. And you'll be able to then spend without feeling like you're going to have to deplete your your supply because your supply will come from the infinite one and this is the alchemy of those who really get the true understanding from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's why Shaykh Abul Hassan also says that once there's a guy there's a person who wanted who tried to you know he joined my company he would wherever I go I see him in the masjid is there he comes to sit in my class whatever and I don't know I just felt you know, sometimes you see somebody who comes to you, who tries to visit you, who tries to meet you all the time. It feels a bit of a burden. You, you don't hit off with that person. You don't have that kind of same feeling about that person. So he says that it felt like a big burden on me. So one day what happened is that I just was very frank with him and I openly spoke to him and I said, like, what, what, why did you come here for? Like, you know, what do you want? Why did you come here for? So he opened up to me, right? So then... I said to him, you know, like, what do you need? What do you want? Why, why do you keep staying with me? He says, oh, you know, my master, they told me that you have the, the, the solution for life, you know, like the, the alchemy for happiness, the alchemy to, you know, get to where, where you need to get to. So that's why I wanted to stay with you so I can learn it from you. I can find what this magic is that you have that everybody says that you have. So I said to him, you're right. You are right, and whoever's told you this, they're absolutely correct as well. But I don't think you're going to be able to accept that this solution that I have and this magic that I have, I don't think you're going to be able to accept it. It's not something you're going to be able to tolerate. He said, no, no, I've come here. I've made so much effort. Course, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm going to accept it. So he said, okay. Sheikh Abul Hassan said, look, what happened is that I, I did an investigation. I looked carefully and pondered over the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I found them to be of two types, broadly speaking of two types. There were those of the creation who are enemies, those things that distract and so on, they're enemies, and who are active enemies. And then there are those who are friends, love their beloved ones, their lovers. Right? So I then investigated and looked deeply into the enemies and I eventually figured out that according to our deen and so on, my enemies, active enemies, they cannot harm me in any way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want anyway. Out there to harm you, they can harm you if Allah wills, but they can only harm you as much as Allah wills. So they can't harm me any more than that. And those, so then I decided that I don't have to worry about them anymore. Meaning in terms of heartfelt grief and those kind of things. Of course, I'm going to keep my defenses up and all of that, yeah, you know, because Allah has not told us to be silly. 
that you know somebody's going to attack and you just leave the door open. I'm interpreting this for us. It doesn't mean that you just sit there and put all of your, your wealth out there. Here, whoever wants to take it, take it. And you don't want them to take it, you know. You obviously have to do that. But your hope is that it's only Allah that can protect you. You know the scams that take place these days where people take your credit card and so on. If you're going to be worried about that every day, or people are going to access your bank account, people are going to, there's going to be an email. Of course, you have to be careful that you don't receive any phishing email and that you don't respond to it. But if you're going to be worried because of that, you stop email. You know, you stop email. Things like that. You stop going somewhere. You stop going out of your house because, you know, like nowadays there's people knocking on your door pretending to be from the council and then they come and rob you, especially the, the women and so on. Now, because of that, you're just going to stop opening the door to anybody. You're just not even going to go there. You know? So it's not like that. It's just that you know from Allah, you have to take your precautions. It's part of life. So anyway, I just said forget the enemies then after that I looked into the friends and the lovers I saw that eventually I saw that you know what they can actually not benefit me except with they can't benefit me and they can't do anything for me that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want they can only benefit me as much as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants anyway so then I said okay forget them as well I can't have any hope in them of course you have friends but I can't have hope in them. And I decided that my full ta'alluq, relationship and connection needs to be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's when it was actually said to me, like uh, that's when it dawned upon me or hear the voice or whatever, right? there was a realization that hit him, that you've come all of this way now. But now you can still not reach the reality of the matter, meaning the true reality, until you also cut all of your hopes from us, meaning from Allah, just as you had cut it away from everybody else. And your only hope should be that whatever we've already decreed for you, you're going to get that. That's all you're going to get. So even when you put your hopes in Allah, it's like if I want to marry someone, then my hope should be, oh Allah, make me marry her. It's like, oh Allah, if do the istikhara. If it's good, Allah ordain it for me. If it's bad, take it away from me. Never insist on something as far as possible. And that's difficult sometimes. Because you think now you can have a inclination towards that, but then you leave it to Allah. That way Allah will give you the best out of it. Because if you insist on something, I want to do this business, I want to buy that car. I want to go on this holiday, it's lockdown, but you know what they say that this country is okay, I want to go. Well, do istikhara and then see how things pan out. And if Allah wills it for you, inshallah it'll be good. These are complicated issues. They are theological issues included in that. But slowly, slowly we ask Allah to provide us the clarity of that. See, a person having a lot of knowledge is not enough. That does not indicate the true understanding of the human being about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, true understanding. Likewise, a person who constantly is regular on their dhikr, that also doesn't give enough of an indication of the true, the, the true relationship and understanding that a person has of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The true thing that indicates towards how much a person knows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how much light Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending them, right, is how much he is enriched by Allah. How much he trusts in Allah and just drops everything else. How he is always just looking out for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And 
he is keeping his heart free from anybody else. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Inna, in Surah Al-Kahf, Inna ja'alna ma ala al-ardi zinatan laha linabluahum ayyuhum ahsanu amala that we've designated, we've placed everything that's on the earth to be an adornment for it. It's an adornment for the dunya. And that's what we get attracted to. But we're doing that so that we can test them to see how faithful they will still be to us, who will still be of the best actions. So the best of actions is to get that true understanding about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by becoming enriched by Allah and nothing else, to have your hope in nothing else, to ask for your support, to ask for your sustenance and everything from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One day, Ali radiallahu anhu, when he was in Basra, he went to the, the big masjid, the jami, and he saw that there's, it's a big, big masjid, and he saw that uh, by in different corners, you know, like one here, one by that pillar, one by that pillar, there's different... Qussas, uh, storytellers, wa'idh, you know, to tell good stories just to provide good uh, inspiration. He saw them uh, doing that. So he made one by one, he basically told them all to stand up and leave. When he came to Hassan Basri, who was also, remember, Hassan al Basri is from Basra, and he asked him a question, he tested him first. He said, he, the reason he asked him a specific question is because he saw on him some special sign. He, he saw that he was different. You know, he had uh, that sanctity, you know, that feeling of uh, religiosity and piety on him. So he said to him, young man, I'm going to ask you a question. If you give me a good response, then I'll leave you here to carry on your dars. Otherwise, I'm going to make you leave here just like I've told everybody else to leave. So then Hassan Basri rahmatullahi said to him, you can please ask whatever you will. So he said, okay, what is the crux of the deen? Like what is this main feature to get, your, to, get to the heights of your deen? What's the pinnacle of your path in your deen? He said, scrupulousness meaning to be particular about what you do and what you don't do. Then he said to him, what is the corruption? How does the deen become corrupt? How does somebody's religion become corrupt? He said, to have these vain hopes in other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, okay, you carry on. Ijlis. فَمِثْلُكَ مَنْ يَتَكَلَّمَ عَلَى النَّاسِ You know, you have a right to speak. Uh, you have a right to speak to people. Abu Abbas al-Mursi, he says that, one day at the beginning of my suluk, the beginning of my efforts and uh, on the path to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when I started doing my dhikr and, and so on, I was in Iskandaria, Alexandria. And I went to somebody who knew me, one of the shopkeepers. I had some relationship with him. So I went to him and I purchased something for half a dirham. Okay, this cost half a dirham. In my heart it was that he knows me, right? So... Maybe he's not gonna, maybe he's not gonna, maybe he's not gonna charge me. He knows me, so maybe he's not gonna. I was hoping that he knows me, so maybe he's just gonna say, "Take it." Sometimes it happens, right? If you know someone. Now that is obviously putting your hope in someone, right? So I heard a, somebody saying to me, like a, a voice saying, "As-salamatu fi fil If you want safety in your faith 
then you need to abandon hopes in all of creation. Don't expect that from him. Just expect to pay the money. There's a, another shaykh, he went to buy some fruits from one of those people that sell fruits on a, one of those carts in those days. Nowadays, we've got those all around London with those people selling with the bowl, the bowls, the different bowls, one pound a bowl. Now, sometimes you have to be careful what's in that bowl because sometimes they add the bad ones and the good ones together because they have to get rid of it. They've got some old stock and new stock. So the sheikh went there and he actually picked out all the bad ones. And he paid that. So his student was there and said, why do you do that? He said, well, you know, he, somebody has to sell it. Subhanallah, you know, one, uh, sometimes you go to certain fruit sellers and they try to give you, they try to deceive you by putting... They said, it's all good. And you ask him, how is it? They're all good. Some of the fairer ones, they'll say, look, I haven't tasted it myself. So at least they don't take liability. Say, look, how are those plums? How are those mangoes? I haven't tasted it myself. I don't know. It's all good. And then there's also some mashallah, they say, look, don't take this. Take that one. Subhanallah. I went to one the other day and uh, I bought a pack of peaches. And he said, he said, take another pack because this one's got a bad one in there. I felt really sorry for him. I said, well, you have to, what are you going to do with this then? If you're not selling it to me, what are you going to do with it? He goes, I'm kind it. We're going to eat it. I said, it's okay. It's just one peach, half a peach. I said, it's okay. I mean, because it's a new kind of place. These guys don't make much money. I, don't, I personally don't think they make much money selling these one pound bottles. It's a, that's a different topic. That's more about trying to benefit somebody, having a bit of self, selfishness, you know. That's very difficult when you're very selfish, when you're, we're always looking out for ourselves. It's very difficult to want to take that. But if we can even start doing it in small things, hopefully we can do it properly in other things. But anyway, so he says, no, uh, he heard a sound saying, don't expect from anyone. Because a person with greed is never going to be satisfied. A person with greed is ne never going to be satisfied. Because if, in Arabic, the word tama are all made of, is, is made up of hollow letters. The ta is hollow, meme is hollow, and the ayn is hollow. It's hollowness, right? Nothing's going to fulfill that. That's why don't ever lower yourself and demean yourself for need from someone. Look, if somebody's playing hard to get, put your trust in Allah and say, if you want me to have it, Allah give it to me easily. Otherwise, don't let me become a slave for this. Once you do that, you'll just, your life will become better. You know, your life becomes much better when you just leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and when you don't get too upset about things and when you don't put all of your eggs in one basket of the makhluqeen, of the creation. You're still going to have to make an effort, but your trust is always with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because like one of the mashayikh said, one of the great scholars, they said that, you know, whatever Allah has decreed, that your um, your, your gums will chew, that your mouth will chew, then you're going to get that anyway. Again, a lot of people get confused with it. It doesn't mean that you sit back and do nothing. You make an effort, but you have to remember that you don't put your psychology, your heart, in a way that if I don't get this, I'm going to be upset. That's what this is, it's differentiating that. Many people who are very subtle, uh, sorry, who are very surface oriented, and there's like, how can you say that? We have to make an effort. We can't just sit back. Yes, make an effort. But... Don't expect that you're going to get it unless Allah wills it. You still have to make the efforts. But your trust is in Allah and don't get upset if you don't get it. Because whatever you get is from Allah and whatever misses, that's because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. So, for example, you know this whole greed issue. 
if uh, somebody asked greed, who's your father? Tera baab kone? Right? It sounds better like that than who's your father sounds a bit too polite actually. Like in, in, in Urdu, the idiom is that tera baab kone? You know, like that kind of a thing. Um, so, so he would say, it would, it would respond honestly that ashakku fil maqdoor. That's what my problem is, that it's about creating doubt in whatever has been decreed. That's essentially the crux of this matter, if you, if you, if you put hopes like that. And if you say, okay, what's your occupation? Like, what, do, what does greed do? What its active role? Active role is iktisabu dhul. To go and just eventually provide disgrace. Greed eventually begets disgrace. Allahu Akbar. And eventually a person... And what is your final objective? Deprivation. Deprive the human being. When the shaitan comes... When the shaitan overcome, uh, uses that tama, when we develop it and we let shaitan take over, it's just going to be hirman. That's why, finally, uh, a poet says, "Idra' ila Allahi la tadra' ila nas. Waqna' bi'izzin fa inna al-izza fil yasi. Wastaghni an kulli thi qurbin wa thi rahimin. Inna al-ghaniya man istaghna an nasi Same thing. It's just a conclusion of the whole thing. It says, if you're going to hope and entreat and plea from anyone don't do that from anybody don't do that from anyone else satisfy and make yourself content with honor because the only way and the only way to gain honor is in becoming despondent from everyone else that they can get you anything that they can give you if Allah doesn't want and <clears throat> enrich yourself and make yourself independent of having this idea that your close ones or your kin, your family, can give you anything. Because the true enriched one, the truly rich one, is the one who seeks independence from all, all people, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us uh, of such people. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that kind of istighna and enrichness and allow us to think of Allah all the time. This is uh, the way that Sheikh Abdullah Gangohi finally summarizes this in his commentary. He says, The branches of the tree of disgrace grow and spread from the seed of ambitious desire that has taken root in the heart. As soon as you've got that ambitious desire and greed for something in your heart, then the disgrace is, could be born from there. And the higher that desire, the, the more the disgrace you could get to. Disgrace is always the consequence of greed and desire. If you had no disgrace, uh, no greed or desire, for it, you would care less what happens to you. When a man's heart desires wealth and fame, then for its acquisition, he will certainly establish a relationship with people and direct his appeals to them. This acquisition of wealth or fame is not possible without collusion with others. His desire constrains him to then flatter them and beg them. He's putting a slightly different idea on this. He's saying, obviously, if you want, he's expounding it more. He says that if you're going to want people which, uh, um, you, for what you need, you're going to have to do things for them. You're going to have to flatter them. You're going to have to get them on your side. You're going to have to convince them somehow, make them happy, make them satisfied, uh, go hand in hand with them, uh, support them, vote for them. Subhanallah. You're going to have to justify their moves, even if they're siding with the enemies. You know, when you talk about politics, ulama and uh, leaders, uh, their leaders, I mean, it's, it's Allahu Akbar, Allah protect us. It's, it's big fitna times. 
right? Imams of big masjids uh, colluding uh, or justifying what their leaders are doing, you know, even though the entire ummah can see that it's harmful. Allah make it easy. Allah make it easy. So he says that this is not without having to flatter someone and beg others. This is a great disgrace. This is essentially disgrace. Toma is thus part of the root of all evil. True respect lies in a man's heart being devoid of any relationship with anyone besides Allah. He remains independent from all. This treasure of true respect is acquired by the elimination of greed and the cultivation of contentment with whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us. We ask Allah for tawfiq. Allahumma anta salam wa anta salam tabarakti adil jalali wa likram Allahumma ya hiyu ya qiyum bi rahmatika nastawith Allahumma ya hannan wa ya manna la ilaha illa anta subhanaka inna kunna min awalimin Allahumma ya hiyu ya qiyum bi rahmatika nastawith Sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad Ya Allah we ask you for your special mercy for your grace O Allah for your rahmah O Allah for your forgiveness O Allah forgive us our wrongdoings O Allah, forgive us our bad habits. O Allah, forgive us our ingrained sins and vices. O Allah, forgive us our bad habits. Forgive us our addictions. O Allah, forgive us for all the time that we turn away from you and that we are negligent. O Allah, help us and assist us. O Allah, grant us the tawfiq. O Allah, allow us to not want to turn to anyone except you. O Allah, grant us a connection with you an association with you. O Allah, grant us love for you. O Allah, grant us trust in you. O Allah, grant us trust in you. O Allah, we cannot even raise these hands to you except because you have given us the tawfiq. O Allah, if you've allowed us to raise these hands to you, then O Allah, grant us what we are seeking from you. O Allah, for all of these things we can only get from you. There is no source, no other source. There is no one else that can grant us and bestow these things upon us. O oh Allah, we are in need. We are your needy servants. O oh Allah, we're nothing but full, fully just your creation who is in need and dependent, absolutely dependent on you. O oh Allah, we have no other way to survive and be nourished and be sustained except through you. O oh Allah, help us in assistance. And you are the true Lord. You are the only Lord. You are the Rabb. You are the sustainer. O oh Allah, all subsistence comes from you. O oh Allah, grant us. O oh Allah, and do not allow us to turn our gaze to anyone else. O oh Allah, this world and its adornments, its beauties are all attractions and adornments for us. O oh Allah, allow us to pass this test. O oh Allah, we are not very successful. We failed miserably so many times. We continue to fail miserably. O oh Allah, help us and assist us. O oh Allah, accept these coming together, these gatherings and this small amount of dhikr that can only happen through you, O oh Allah, now accept it from us. O oh Allah, accept it from us. O oh Allah, accept it from us. O oh Allah, remove this pandemic. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, remove these illnesses. O oh Allah, make us worthy of your rahmah and your mercy. Keep us protected. O oh Allah, protect us. O oh Allah, bless those of us, those of our family members, our friends, and others who have departed this world. O oh Allah, grant them Jannatul Firdaus. Allow us to live a good life in this world, but especially in the hereafter. O oh Allah, accept from us and all, all of our permissible projects. Ya Allah, we ask you for facilitation, for ease, and for acceptance, for ikhlas and sincerity. Accept from us. O oh Allah, grant us huge blessing in what you have given us. Do not make it a source of 
punishment for us. Do not make it a source of burden and do not make it a source of sin for us. O oh Allah, all that you have given us, for you have given us more than so many others in this world. O oh Allah, bless all of those who facilitate this for us and who facilitate all religious programs and who educate and who teach. And O oh Allah, who facilitate in any way, shape and form. Allah bless, Allah bless them all. O oh Allah, allow us to stand as the supporters of the deen on the day of judgment and accept us for the service of your deen. O oh Allah, accept our du'as and send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifuna wa salamun alal mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.